Hello, and welcome to UK Life Abroad. In this week's main event, we tackle the fight for Ukraine to gain IMF funding. President Zelensky's administration has pursued additional funding throughout his term with limited success. We discuss what could happen next. Also, what do Harry Potter and Ukrainian Christmas trees have in common? This and more on Sakhradonia Ukrainsi, the podcast for all things Ukrainian. So Christmas is upon us, and for all of us, that usually means that there'll be in our cities, even with the COVID, there'll be a big uh, Christmas tree in most cities and towns around the world. And in Ukraine, uh, there's actually a official Holvni Yelenka that traditionally is uh, in Kiev. And I think there's a bit of controversy this year about its design, Alexa. Well, there's two main controversies with the design. So firstly, it's the first fake Christmas tree or artificial Christmas tree in years. So, um, and the other controversy is that instead of a star on top of the Christmas tree, they decided to put a wizard looking hat on top of it. Yeah. So it's like a golden Harry Potter hat. There's no other way to describe it. Like when I saw it, I thought of Dumbledore was my best thing. <laughs> like they got the sorting hat and just put it on the tree. Or maybe if you want to go down the Disney line for some of those people who prefer Disney, it's like a phantasmic Mickey Mouse hat. Yeah, just Fantasia. Gold. Yeah, yeah. What uh, what our house do you think the tree would be put into? I don't know. What's green? <laughs> Come on. But I think it is, yeah, like I think the first controversy that Alexa mentioned is, is valid too because it was actually quite amazing how they used to build this tree. So they had like this huge tall steel frame. I mean, I think the tree itself towers, you know, well over I think 20 metres. Um, yeah. And what is interesting is they used to basically bring all these Christmas trees, like on trucks, these live fresh Christmas trees, and they would assemble into this steel frame all these different trees to basically assemble a big tree. Um, and as I think Alexa mentioned, these, this year it's the first time they've actually gone for a fake tree. Well, I think in some years they managed to find like a tree that was big enough. That was just a single standing tree. I'm actually trying to find that tree though. It's like looking up for like a 20 meter tree. Yeah, how <laughs> old would that tree have to have been? Pretty old. Because I know Ukraine sent one to the Vatican one year and it was like a single tree. No, because each year a country in Europe sends the Vatican a Christmas tree. Okay. Interesting. So, so I don't see why people are getting so upset with like the whole Christmas. Just, like, no, it's star. more the hat that was. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't see. Like, I, in my opinion, I would have enjoyed it because it's something new, right? Yeah, I'm with you actually. I, I liked it because it's new. Yeah, because but... it's like because the whole theme is well, meant to be like fan, like um, fantasy, right? And like, if the house has got a hat on, right, might as well have the tree with a hat on, and it kind of gives this like consistency between the artwork really well part of the controversy also stemmed from the fact that it was outside of saint sophia and on saint sophia square and so it was more like the like you're putting it on not church property because it's a museum but it's outside a church it's like if you wanted to have a more um non-christian element like put it on my done but you no one puts it on my done because of yevra maidan and so it's moved back to a more like, you know, traditional Christian setting. Yeah, I know. Just but have a star on top of the hat. <laughs> well, they eventually relented to the criticism and took the hat down and put a more traditional star back on top. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that, but I actually think star on top of the hat, like I would have thought that would have been fine. 
but I feel like it's more because it went against like the traditional design. That's what it was. I don't think people wanted the hat as opposed to not having the star. You know what yeah, I mean? and it's like a big deal now in Ukraine. Like they go to like you have the official lighting of the Christmas tree and like the whole square, and they have like this huge concert, and there was like a big traditional Christmas market, and it was like packed. Like I went with my friends to the lighting last year. Year before, yeah, but uh, two years ago, and it was like crazy. There were so many people there, and like it stretches all the way from Saint Sophia to Saint Michael's, like down the road. It's like this big market. Even still, right? Even if they didn't want to put the hat on like the main tree, isn't there still like other trees around it or no? It's one big tree. No, but in like this one, isn't there like now more? No, so there is, there is other, there is other ones, but I'm pretty sure they have the same hats. Yeah, yeah, just oh, mini year. versions this uh, year. Yeah, yeah this so, year. So I'd say, why don't you just have all like the smaller hat, like all the smaller trees with the hats, and then have this big one with your just Traditional. tree, uh, it's with the star on top. Yeah, and I should correct myself earlier. It's actually thirty-four meters, so it's quite a wow. tall tree. It's a big tree, but it is artificial, so it's not as impressive if it was a live tree. Yeah, so some of the simple, simplest of things, if they get changed, that traditions uh, are broken, I think people do come out and speak up. And it's interesting to see them conceding so quickly. Um, but I wonder if they'll ever try again uh, in future years to do anything else new and different. Over the past few years, Ukraine has sought various loans from international sources, particularly from the International Monetary Fund. Now, this has been like a long-term quest, I would say, of Ukraine to try and get this sort of funding uh, from the IMF. And in order to do this, the IMF has been pushing for various policy changes in Ukraine, and Ukraine has to agree to these policy changes in order for funding to continue. And how it's set up is that each there's different phases and Ukraine has to do make one amendment and then they would give receive money and then they have to do a next amendment and then receive money and it, it works it rolls out that way so this this part of the funding has always been like a, a roadblock uh, in order to get the this full package of disbursement and it has never fully been completed because anytime well whenever they start to get closer and closer down the line there seems to be a, a policy change that just doesn't go through and then the whole deal ends up falling through. So that has been a major issue in the whole funding process. And this has put Ukraine's economy in kind of like a no man's land because they receive just enough funding to last the next couple of years. And then from that point on, once that funding runs out, they then need to go and seek funding again. So... Presently, Ukraine's economy is estimated to shrink by about 8%. Uh, and because of that, the, this IMF funding is essential to the country's economy. But, you know, within everything that's happened recently in Ukraine with some recent policy changes, um, the IMF is still very hesitant in giving Ukraine any additional funding. So Zelensky presently is still trying to 
do what other presidents have done and try and, you know, secure some sort of funding from the IMF. Yeah, so, um, Alexa, what can you tell us about, uh, you know, Ukraine's history with the IMF? Yeah, so thanks for that intro, Nathan. So Ukraine joined the IMF and the World Bank way back in September of 1992. And in 1998, Ukraine obtained its first IMF loan. Since then, Ukraine has gone on to have numerous programs uh, with the IMF and has become one of its largest borrowers in general. Um, So traditionally, the IMF provides funding at very cheap rates, which you would never be able to receive on the open borrowing market globally. So this is why uh, many countries that are in dire economic straits turn to the IMF for uh, funding to prop up their economies. However, because the money comes at such cheap rates, um, they usually come with quite painful reforms attached to them, which, while unpopular in the short term, usually reform a country's economic system to be prosperous in the future so that that way they can repay the money and then, you know, not have to borrow it again. Um, In Ukraine, like as Nathan said, most programs normally only half implemented with usually only the first or second... Um, disbursement of the funds being received and then by that point Ukraine's economy has stabilized and the government no longer feels that they're threatened economically that they have to implement the more painful reforms so uh, with the last set of IMF funding that Ukraine received before Zelensky became president they had quite painful reforms so they had to increase gas prices and implement like anti-corruption measures into the economy. And that caused Ukraine to experience its first set of economic growth in a very long time. And with the change in government, a lot of the policies have either come to a halt that they're not being implemented or expanded further. And thus the IMF is losing faith in Zelensky and his government and are hesitant to lend more money. Yeah, so the whole reason why the IMF is kind of hesitant to give out money to Zelensky. It's because of his attitude towards reforming Ukraine and making progress uh, within the package that the IMF has given them. I think we should say that Zelensky has obtained one tranche of IMF funding, which was in June of this year, where he obtained $2 billion to help fight the effects of the coronavirus. But I think that was sort of almost no strings attached. It's kind of, we have to save your economy. Yeah. Yeah, so after that first uh, disbursement, they've been trying to get a second one, and it was meant to happen in September, but it didn't take place because Ukraine didn't carry out the necessary actions which Ukraine needed to complete in order to receive the funds, right? And so for the past couple of months, Ukrainian the Ukrainian government has been insisting that they will get the disbursement soon and hopefully by the end of the year, but that's We're getting pretty opti- close. <laughs> yeah, what, there's like two weeks left? But yeah, so it's too optimistic, really, and it's kind of unreachable within this time frame. And I don't think that I don't think Zelensky really sees um, why he can't achieve this, right? Because he's saying that oh, we can get it by the end of the year. Like we're in the talks, right? We're almost there. There's only like a little bit of steps left, right? But an article by Atlantic Council about the IMF funding and Zelensky, it mentions that uh, the real situation is far bleaker than it seems. If the Ukrainian government does not fundamentally revise revise its current economic policy and political trajectory, is it unlikely to receive any IMF, World Bank or European Union funds for as long as Zelensky remains president? 
So, um, most importantly, the IMF is demanding the independence of the National Bank of Ukraine, NBU. And Zelensky has constantly repeated that he supports the independence of this, uh, of the National Bank. But in July, he forced the highly respected uh, chairman, Yakiv Smolier, to resign, with the majority of the board also being forced out as well. And then Zelensky replaced them with uh, people from his own circle. And this isn't a, a good look because it's kind of showing that, yeah, 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 we're doing uh, what you're saying, but let me put my guys in, right? Let me let me handle this my way. So um, he's pretty much trying to take control of the National Bank to kind of keep it under control and like do what he really wants with it. And I think we should highlight that the National Bank of Ukraine was seen as one of the big reforms of the previous administration because um, after it was reformed in 2014, the National Bank of Ukraine went on a purge and removed all these paper banks from the system and all these failing banks that oligarchs were using to prop up their finances. And so now Ukraine's banking system actually works and makes a profit. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that if he's trying to, you know, undermine that neutrality that the bank has, that kind of, in a sense, is what's... The problem. Yeah, one of the problems. But I find it even worse when he keeps reinforcing, no, 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 we can get this done and everything's fine, everything's fine, but everything isn't fine behind the scenes. That not only jeopardizes IMF funding, but that kind of contributes to why you see such a distrust of you know, the people's, sorry, there's such a distrust of politicians in Ukraine because they don't trust what the president's saying, what other officials are saying because they've seen it in the past and he says one thing and does something else. So that it also impacts, you know, the perception of government that the people have. And the other thing that we should also highlight is that um, the a lot of other Western institutions have tied their funding being conditional on Ukraine obtaining IMF funding. So the longer they drag the their negotiations with the IMF the longer they're uh, having to wait for these other funds that like the EU was promising them or like America yeah so second of all the IMF isn't too fond with the way Zelensky is trying to deal with corruption so he's got a positive attitude uh, like most Ukrainian politicians are where they say they'll, they'll try and get rid of it and like they'll work against it but in Zelensky's case he doesn't really know what to really do especially with the constitutional court really because he kind of went a bit overboard with the first suggestion and then the third uh, the final point is that the government doesn't really have uh an agenda for the judicial reform really it, ha- it probably has some like basic stuff but it's not what the imf really wants. yeah and if you want to find out more about why ukraine's recent constitutional court decision has caused so many problems for ukraine you can check out episode 21 where we dive deep into why its recent decision was so controversial and why Zelensky's proposed solution uh, was almost just as bad. So, like both Nathan and Alexa mentioned before, um, most previous governments, they'd receive, like, an action plan uh, for the full uh, disbursement, right? But they'd only do a couple or, like, even two... um, Stages? Stages, right. And then after that, they would just... um, forget about it, say that, oh, we're doing pretty well now. So, uh, in the article, it mentions that Zelensky's team has been 
has become more like Yanukovych's government, where they concluded a standby agreement in the summer of 2010, but then, re- uh, but then received no fu- uh, further tranches. Which isn't a good sign considering Zelensky likes to promote himself as a pro-European reformer. <laughs> yeah. 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 And now with the whole, um, this, like the second tranche that Zelensky is trying to achieve, right? Um, instead of doing actual reforms, like he's being told, he's constantly, he's constantly, he's constantly sending officials to Washington and to the IMF, to the US government to try and get them to, kind of skip the reforms in a sense and kind of give the money early to Ukraine. So, he's trying to get out of, like, get around the main issues. Oh, he's in- trying to, like, um, soften up the deal in a sense, right? Let's like, oh, I can skip this, right? But, like, I'll do this instead, right? So, like, do, like, low-level stuff. We can see, like, how desperate Zelensky is to get this funding that he's gone and changed Ukraine's ambassador to the US and he's appointed uh, Ukraine's former finance minister and her job is to basically meet with the IMF and get funding. And it's like, you should be building relationships with the incoming Biden administration. Yeah, and there's there's a clear path to getting the funding and he's trying to create an alternate path and that's the path that drives me nuts because it doesn't even tackle the main issues in the country and it minimizes those corruption issues at the IMF and like Biden were trying to... Uh, when he was vice president, were trying to, you know, weed out of Ukraine. And now he's like, oh, no, they're not that bad. You know, give us funding anyway and we can work around it. You've got you to tackle the main issues that they're focusing on. Yeah, and I think, Brianna, you were looking into al- alternate sources of funding that Ukraine can try and rely on. Yes, they don't have a lot of options. Um, the National Bank is actually banned from doing this, but uh, one thing that they can do is buy back some of their debt from the banks in a quantitative easing scheme. Now, a QE scheme um, happens or occurs when a country's key interest rates approach or reach zero, um, and then the central bank uh, increases the supply of money by buying government bonds and other securities. Now, increasing the supply of money lowers the cost of money, leading to lower interest rates, and then when interest rates are lower, banks can lend with easier terms, which means they lend more. It's a bit of funky finance. Isn't that what America did in 2008 to get out of their crisis? Uh, I think so. I think you're right, yeah. I don't know. Like here in Australia, our, our Reserve Bank is a bit more shy to try something like that. Yeah. I mean, they did a little bit, but there wasn't too much to... It was only for the COVID, really. Yeah, they did a little bit for COVID. And then they're like very quickly going back to traditional monetary policy. And I think it's probably good that Ukraine stays in traditional monetary policy. When you start doing all these fancy things, it makes things quite unstable. And, you know, people don't know what's going to change. You know, if you can manipulate, I guess, yeah, if you can manipulate currencies in that way, you know, people are more hesitant to you know, make use of those particular currencies and then you end up with these uh, trust issues when it comes to um, the economy. The only other option that they really have at the moment for getting, if you can call it fast cash, is tapping the international capital market with another euro bond. Now, when I say the word euro bond, you might think, oh, you know, it's a bond from Europe, but it actually doesn't mean that you get money from Europe. It it just means that you... uh, it means that a bond is issued in a currency that is different from that of the country in which it is issued. So it'd be like Ukraine asking for money from Germany. So yeah, it'd be like Ukraine saying, lend us money and we will pay you back in euros instead of hrevnias, which therefore makes lending more expensive for Ukraine because it has to 
pay back its loans in a foreign currency. So if the exchange rate falls, it becomes more expensive to service the debt. But like part of the reason why a eurobond is so uh, appealing is that you get to choose the country that you want to issue it in and, you know, you use that country's interest rates, economic cycle and market size and, you know, uh, those benefits, how, how it affects you. But like, isn't there some sort of thing, I don't know, wouldn't you like lock it in? Like, so you, know, when you, you lock in the interest rate. So say, I think like, for example, like the bonds in Germany are going at like 0.7%. But if Ukraine's currency collapses because there's a recession, so even though your interest rate stays the same, you have to pay back more revenues to After make up. From the exchange rate. So it'd be like if, um, like in 2008, when you might say you're investing everything in um, <clears throat> uh, US dollars, for example, and then the US dollar Collapse. collapses, then you have to pay back more of your currency to make up for that. Because like US dollar is now like 75 cents. So, so it would have been good for Australia because our currency went up to like a dollar ten. So it would have been really cheap for us to service any debt in US dollars. But say if Australia's economy had collapsed and one Australian dollar was only worth twenty US cents, it would be very expensive for us to service any debt in US dollars. Could we? Because in that case, we'd be sending five dollars over there for it, every one US for every dollar one to pay US dollar of debt. So yeah, that's that's why it's risky because you got to you got to be in the know in what's happening in those countries, and even then things hit that people don't expect, like COVID hit, and it, who knows what the implications of that were, you know, when when this all started. And even like Ukraine does this domestically as well, because in Ukrainian banks you can get loans in three types: you can get them in hryvnias, US dollars, and euros. So in the early two thousands, when Ukraine's economy was really strong getting loans in US and euros was really cheap. So lots of people bought that to buy houses. And then when Ukraine's economy collapsed in 2008 and then again in 2014, all these people were suddenly locked into ridiculous repayments just to pay off money that they'd borrowed years ago. So the same thing could happen internationally with euro bonds. But do you think it's a good idea for them to go down this path. Well, countries do it all the time. No, I mean, for Ukraine, they, they, should they be going down this alternate source, do you think? In a small scale, I think it's fine. I don't but if you're using it to prop up your entire economy, it's probably not the best thing to do. I mean, they're just putting themselves more in debt. Like, how are they, you know, they, you said that, um, Nathan, you said that, uh, you know, their funding's only, the funding from the IMF would only last, you know, what, a few more years. And then you add more stuff that they have to repay. Like, what are they going to repay it with if it's only going to, if the IMF stuff is going to, only going to last, you know, a few more years? Yeah. After that, they're like, oh, how do we repay it? Like, yeah. Well, in saying that, like, in general terms, Ukraine's debt to GDP ratio isn't the worst in the world. It's hovering in the about 70%. So, if Ukraine wanted to pay off all its debt, it would only require 70% of its annual like economic production to pay it off. But then you've got countries like Japan, which owe like almost 200%. So that like in a whole year, their country wouldn't be able to pay off their debt. Like it's insane. So you have countries in Europe like Greece, which are also in a pretty bad situation. They're like in the high like 150% ratio. So Ukraine's debt isn't the worst, but Ukraine doesn't have the best ability to pay it back. Like Japan's, what, the world's third largest economy, so they can sort of afford to pay back their debt eventually. And then Greece is in the EU, so they're just propped up by Germany and France. So Ukraine's kind of on its own. So yes, it's high, but there's worse countries. Um, I reckon if 
the way Zelensky is going right now, I don't think uh, it'll be a positive trend, really. I think, I, can, I think he'll get this one, this last one, and then after that, I don't think he'll be able to get it any further because I think his government's just too dysfunctional in trying to achieve this, and like they're too uh, disorganized. And so I think they're going to be stuck back to what the common trend is, is where you only get one or two parts uh, of the full bond, sorry, of the full uh, disbursement, and then kind of forget about it, do your own stuff, really, and support themselves before another economic crash comes along. Well, I know, like you were mentioning that in that article, um, how if this falls through, the IMF will be unlikely to work with um, Zelensky's administration again. Well, the next election you said was when, Alex, in the last so episode? So, the next presidential election is in 2024, and the next parliamentary elections are in 2025, unless Zelensky calls them early, which I think he will. And I think a new Ukrainian prime minister, if he's backed by pro-European parties, he'll be able to get a deal. Yeah, so if the IMF decides that they haven't seen enough progress and, you know, they're going to wait for the elections to see what, see if a new administration comes in, well, that puts everything on hold for, you know, four more years, which... But if you think about it, um, even if uh, the IMF do stop backing Ukraine or, like, stop um, hanging out these disbursements, uh, it also gives, like, a negative sign to other um, to other countries or to other organizations loaning out money because it gives Ukraine this negative light saying that like showing that oh we we just want we want money but we don't want to do reforms really we want to stay how we are so it it doesn't really give a positive attitude and considering that we're in that Ukraine's in a pretty bad situation for covid um Ukraine really needs this money to deal with it and to bounce back In the news this week, Ukrainian gymnast Ihor Radivilov has won two medals at the recent gymnastic games in Turkey. He was awarded the gold for the vault and bronze for the rings. Ukraine also won the men's artistic gymnastics team event, beating host Turkey. Ukraine's prosecutors plan to initiate the extradition process of fugitive ex-president Viktor Yanukovych from Russia. Yanukovych has been hiding in Russia since he fled Ukraine in February 2014 during the height of the Euromaidan revolution. He is currently wanted in Ukraine for various crimes, including usurping state power in 2014 and organizing the persecution and murder of participants of the Euromaidan revolution. The US Senate has approved $250 million in aid to Ukraine as part of its 2021 National Defense Authorization Act. The bill includes $75 million for lethal assistance and extends their authority to support Ukraine in deterring Russia. The bill was passed by an overwhelming majority of 84 to 13. Ukraine has ratified its political free trade and strategic partnership agreement with the UK, which will replace the various EU-Ukraine agreements once the UK leaves the European Union. The UN has adopted an updated resolution on the situation of human rights in the Autonomous Republic of Crimea and the city of Sevastopol. 64 countries backed the resolution, 23 voted against, and 86 abstained from the voting. Let us know which stories you'd like to hear by reaching out to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us next week for a special end-of-year recap episode.